Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to appslier.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games, or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. All right, welcome to Twig 181. Somehow I'm hosting again. I don't understand why. Um, I've been sick uh, for the last week and a bit. I had a really, really bad fever, but didn't... uh, didn't test positive, so it's just something, something in the daycare. Something some in the other, daycare. There's a, there was a big bug going around, and I'm sure it came from the U.S. and went up to Canada or something. But my kids both got it. <laughs> Tons of people got it, dude. Little, yeah, my kids got literally it. Literally, twelve kids, twelve in my my son's class of 48 have COVID. Though, so, so wow. <laughs> there's like this, there's this like outbreak, dude. So everyone's gonna finally be done with this nonsense and have natural immunity and we can move on with our lives. Um, anyway. But yeah, there's a ton of news this week. <laughs> I know. There's yeah, so yeah. much going on. It all happened on like oh. Tuesday, like the day before. <laughs> I know. I know. When it rains, it pours, Shit. man. I, uh, I'm going to San Francisco next Tuesday and I've got an entirely free day. Uh, if anybody wants to grab lunch. I'll be in town. I have nothing to do all day. I've got to, I'm going for a dinner, and I just checked that my flight lands at 9 a.m. <laughs> Dude, let me take you out. Where are you staying? And I'm, I'm staying in Palo Alto, but I'm going to come into the city. Oh, let's go to the Olympic Club for lunch. Ooh, yeah. for lunch? Oh. you have a car? I'm in. Let's do it. Uh, no, I'll just Uber there. All right. Got you, dude. I got you. Let's, let's do it. I would go to Farmer Brown's. For some fried chicken and waffles for lunch, if I was a uh, little skillet, if I was back in San Francisco for one day only. Uh, but have you been to the O Club? The O Club is awesome. It's beautiful. It's so nice. No, up there. I'm not that cool right now. <laughs> oh my god! I went golfing on Sunday, which I'm terrible at golf, as you can imagine. But it was literally the most beautiful day that you could possibly get. Clear, not windy, out on the cliffs. <laughs> this is unbelievable. Oh man, it's, uh, it's amazing. How how bad at how bad at golf? See now, like let me. With your strokes, <laughs> I imagine a lot of. No, no, no. I mean, I, I'm a two over, one over par person. And okay, I, so it's not terrible. Frankly, I I did much better than I expected because I haven't played in years. Well, a year and a half probably um, since my boy Stan Kwan stopped playing for a bit. But I, 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 you know, I'm 
I have, I know what to do. It's just the execution of it is a little bit, uh, you know, it's inconsistent because I just swing too hard. It's really annoying because I know what to do. I just don't do it. <laughs> I'm going anyway. to assume that it's actually more like a double, triple bogey. <laughs> no, that, it's that's, not. That's it really, like no, me. With, it's not that bad. I'm not that bad. That's like me with game production. I know how it's supposed to be done. Yet somehow I just fail at it. <laughs> yeah, unlike Blizzard, who, I, uh, unlike Blizzard, who clearly doesn't even know what what to be doing with these games <laughs> or yeah, actually yeah. how to execute them. <laughs> Let's get into uh, the actual on. news. So the first one, uh, this is Miska's post because we're supposed to talk about it. Um, is Rovio? He can't, dude. He can't be throwing these bombs in here if he's not participating, dude. So all right, I'll give I'll give Rovio yeah. some kudos, right? Out of all the companies in the mobile space, they're the ones that they have actually performed pretty well in Q1, and their stock is up, I think, like twenty percent over the last few days. Um, but for the record, they're still mice nuts, dude. It's like six hundred million dollars of market, seven hundred million dollars of market cap. So it's not that interesting. Seven fifty, but that's in in euros, right? So that's got to be close to a billion. I think that's U.S., but it doesn't matter. Anyway, it doesn't matter. You're right. Maybe it is euro. No. No, it's eight eight hundred million. So. Anyway, not interesting, but they are, they had a good but, quarter. Uh, well, no, I, I do th- I do think it's interesting though because this is exactly the profile of company you'd expect to weather ATT right. better than brand, yeah. right? Casual portfolio supported by uh, a well recognized, like widely recognized brand. Very stable revenues. They weren't dependent on UA for growth. They weren't really growing, right? The whole this the whole um, the, the the whole. Uh, composure of this company is a, uh, a dividend production machine for investors. That's <laughs> like stable, stable revenues, stable EBIT, deliver dividends to investors. That's it. I mean, they're, that's, that's, a, that's a strategy. That's a public company strategy. And that's what they're doing. They're not chasing big growth, right? They want stable revenues, maybe like some kind of uh, single digit or low double digit growth every year. But the, the reality is they're not deploying a lot of money chasing big dreams. They're just Supporting the existing franchises, allowing the brand to keep the revenues buoyant, and then delivering dividends to investors. That's right. it. And, and then on the flip side, you can make you can make the argument that they missed the whole boat of actual user acquisition generated games, right? Or games that generated revenue from user acquisition. And now the whole market is shifting right back to where they were like eight years ago. What? You know? So, <laughs> right, so right. now now they're fucking in prime yeah. position. They, right? they missed like, the whole they, UA they, boat. They hired Sufert and we're like, oh, we'll just skip over this <laughs> UA thing. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no, but but when I when I joined, yeah. they weren't. I mean, when I joined, there was no UA budget, right? Like it was I, there was a team, but basically all they did was like launch games and then not support them. And so I kind of, you know, I don't want to take a lot of credit, but like it was a turnaround. I mean, that, that was how it was pitched to me. This is a turnaround opportunity, right? Um, and I was like, okay, that sounds like a fun challenge. But like they weren't doing kind of like consistent, systematic UA. It was like let's launch a game, throw some money and some channels, and then we move on to whatever the next launch right. is. It wasn't like games but, as a service, right? So what I'm hearing is, is the Angry Birds movie is your success story. No, let's move on. Let's move on. We know that it wasn't you, sir. Well, okay, next news story. Uh, Apex yeah. Legends Mobile um, is announced to be releasing in May. Um, I've been kind of following it from an RPI standpoint. It's hitting up to 47 cents uh, RPI um, in Australia. Uh, looks like a pretty flat RPI at that level. Um, comparing it to COD, I think when COD Mobile launched, it was only at about $0.25 cents RPI before launch. Yeah. Um, but this feels a lot more fully featured um, than COD was before. Um, Eric, what's your take here? Yeah, I mean, I, I've been hearing some mixed things about Apex because uh, obviously that's part of my job. Uh, so first of all, it's kind of hard to compare it to Call of Duty because I think Apex is actually fully more fully featured from the perspective of monetization. So I think they actually have a at Battle Pass during beta, which is <laughs> really interesting. Um, so that's Call of Duty didn't have a lot of these monetization features enabled, even at launch, right? Um, and it took them a while to kind of get that up to speed. So it's not, it's kind of apples to oranges to some some degree. Um, and that's making the Apex numbers look a little bit better. Um, obviously, the big thing here is how much support they'll have with content, et cetera, to keep this thing going and keep keep folks spending. And I'm imagining they have a pretty good plan in place whether they can execute this question. Um, but I think the bigger problem right now is that the turmoil that's going on at EA from a mobile perspective, given this freaking fiasco that is freaking glue. And I and I the more I hear about it, the more it's just like it is it is dramatic. It is dramatic how what are you hearing? The, what are you what are you 
What are you hearing? Just how bad they, they've done in terms of managing this acquisition. Like everybody's gone, right? They just lost all their people and they stopped spending against games. And like, it's just a disaster. Absolute disaster. Um, so if you, if you think about the history of EA's acquisitions, I feel like one, I don't know, one no, in no, no. succeeds in so many. Like, why don't no, no. they have better acquisi- no, no. post-acquisition? No, I 100% planning. agree with that statement. Like, I'm not trying to make, this is nothing yeah. new. I'm saying the the, the right. speed as which of which of how this is was destroyed, right. the value, destruction, the amount of time it took was so quick. Yeah. It is like it, it is unprecedented. I've never seen it. I've been doing this yeah. 20, 30 years. Yeah, that's I've my, never seen value dis- that's, dissipate as fast. Right. Um, that's what I'm just wondering out loud. If they've seen the pattern, why does history keep repeating itself? Like acquisitions are when you splash around this much hard. money. I mean, acquisitions are hard. You know, keeping mm-hmm. people is hard, right? And we'll get to it with uh, Zynga in a moment. But anyway, the other thing that people have to understand is the amount of money that Teamy spent in order to drive the 100 million installs for, for Call of Duty was a ton, a shit ton, okay? And so do you think in this kind of turmoil in which they're losing like 50% of the value of their acquisition that that these the powers that be are going to like throw $50 million, $100 million on... <laughs> acquiring customers i don't know i don't know about that so this feel this started to feel like a big miss uh, sorry giovanni um i love i love you but uh this is not this is not looking good this but, is still this is still I, light speed and quantum right so this is PUBG mobile not cod mobile right as in like i'm sure they're well aware of the content that they need to be releasing no, no, no. I, 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 dude, I think they can do that. I, but what I'm worried is that they're not going to spend the money against acquiring the amount of users, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, like, yeah. So we'll see. Okay. Um, uh, next bit of news. Uh, Match Group has named Bernard Kim as their chief executive officer. Yeah. What a cool. Fucking hell, dude. This is amazing. This guy's he amazing. He's a baller. Dude, are you kidding me? Dude, he went from being a president of a $9 billion company to a CEO of a $20 billion company. Like, that's totally, like, that's totally outside of his core domain expertise. I, how do you do that? <laughs> I want to know. I want to know. I, I, I love I, it, man. I, I, I love it. I am so profoundly jealous of this guy, right? He is just a baller, dude. I, I mean, dude, I mean, look, he's basically out franking Frank. Right? Like now Frank has to keep up with the Joneses, dude. <laughs> Frank is, you know, Frank has to like find the next CEO role. It's crazy. It is crazy, dude. Yeah. I uh I, you I, know, I, I'm not I'm not jealous. I think jealousy is a toxic emotion, but I feel like I'm 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 in awe. Absolutely. I'm impressed. Right? Like <laughs> to make uh, this move. To be able to do that. I love it. I love, I want Bernard. If I don't know if you listen to this podcast, I guess you have no reason to anymore because you're at Why camp, would he? If you do, <laughs> right. if you do, I would I would like to uh, invite you to become my mentor. I would like to uh, study <laughs> under in you. San Francisco, and, right? like, and, I feel like you've got a free day. Bernard's got a free day. He's not. He's not doing much at Zynga now. B- <laughs> All right, BK. I've got a free day on on May 9th. If you're available, I would love to just gather tutelage from you yeah. for a day, and I think that would turn my day. I'll take an hour, dude. I'll take him to a drink. You know? like, <laughs> anyway, totally. Totally random question. Do you, do you think live ops is harder on mobile free-to-play games or on dating services? Because it is a persistent live service that never ends with subscription and probably some IAP and ad-driven revenue. I, I have zero idea. Which is going to be a harder challenge. <laughs> but like, but like yeah. what live content am I delivering on a regular basis, right? Like, there's nothing. Yeah, there's no, yeah. There's no live so, content. So it's just feature updates? Actually, so it's just... You know, it's, you know, it's fun. But not even that. I'm well, you know, it's funny. I had this thesis around Match a few years ago that live ops and, and, and game development. Sorry, now we're talking about real series, But anyway, he's a baller. Good luck with him. Remember, we, drink, do, we do have big there. news this week. You want to go to get coffee? <laughs> I, 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 I got I to just, just be in the presence of greatness, right? At least once in my life. Okay. Um, Anyway, I had thought about this, like the, the, the idea that Match could become more of a live ops game, right? The, the fact that they could drive monetization with microtransactions and other things. And, and, and this could be huge for some because they have such a great audience. Like their core demographic is amazing. It's like, you know, 18 to 44 year old men and women, right? Fuck. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. 
and I don't think it's it's not live ops in terms of incremental revenue. It's more like retention of people who don't find permanent dating matches. How do you keep them? No, 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 no. Can it's, you use game mechanics to keep them engaged no, no. in the service? It's not. Sorry, it's both engagement as well as monetization. So they did like yeah. these premium subscriptions. So right after we started talking about that, they started doing these like premium subscriptions. And since I'm not in the game anymore, I don't know exactly how they work, right. but you get like you know special privileges by spending money. And so I think there's just a lot more that they... I look forward to the Plenty of Fish battle pass. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. There's a lot of opportunity, seriously, to monetize the audience better, is what I'm trying to say. And being interrupted by Mr. Ethan. At least he didn't bring up crypto, dude. That's all that matters, right? Yeah. Yeah, let's move forward. Let's no, we got huge I, I news this week. We're not even in it. All right. <laughs> hold on, hold on, hold on. This is, this, is, this is interesting. So I think there's a couple things. One is the newly appointed CEO of Tinder did float like an NFT project and i think everyone just so like viciously shat on it that they abandoned it like immediately but i think actually match is in a tough spot because match is uh matches business is very impaired by att right because to your point there's a handful of big dating apps right now i've never used a dating app ever so i don't know the mechanics um i won't talk to the monetization but on the ua (laughs) side these companies, their primary expenditure on acquisition is reacquisition, right? It's reengagement, right. um, and that and that has basically disappeared with ATT. So I think he is actually stepping into a pretty challenged situation um, with having to kind of reinvigorate the growth engine without being able to rely on the previous sort of tactic, which was reengagement, reactivation, because these users just bounce around, right? I mean, unless you sort of uh, you know age out, right? If you churn because you met your forever partner, then that's one thing, but like. You, the, the, you, all these companies are doing is just poaching users from the other apps, which is why, like, you know, these ad networks are always kind of pitching, um, oh, we're going to expand into non, non-gaming. It's almost impossible. Gaming is, is one of the only categories where you, act, where you actually have the ability to support, in, like, ad monetization because any other category is too competitive, right? If I'm a casual game developer, I'm okay to show some people ads because I know they're never going to monetize, like, uh, you know, it's, it, there's just a there's just a sort of general sort of like uh, swirling of users across these games. But dating, you can't afford to lose these people, right? And but and that's why these ad networks can never really penetrate there. But I, I think like Match is probably in a pretty tough spot, uh, you know, with the idea of being able to not being able to do reactivation anymore. Interesting. I, yeah, I thought about that. Yeah. Um, all right. Next one. Uh, oh, sorry, but the one thing about this that concerns me is that the more executives that leave Zynga, the less likely this acquisition is going to be any good for Take Two. You know, and so at yeah. this stage, honestly, if I were an, if I were advising any any um, big shareholders of Take Two, I would not approve this acquisition, honestly, because if Frank leaves, who the fuck is left to manage this 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 disaster that's waiting to happen? And the data is so bad for the first four months of this year for Zynga. Um, <laughs> I just worry. I really worry about this. To, this now, it's not. It can't nearly be as much bad as bad as the glue acquisition, but it's it's not going to be good. Um, well, Eric, is there? I'm I'm surprised they let this happen. I would have thought that they had some kind of lock in, or is that only? Does that only go into effect after the acquisition closes? Well, frankly, I was wrong. In some ways, I was wrong about this. Um, I thought I thought that they would try to keep him, you know, and, and, and so maybe it means that Frank is actually going to stay right. And they're going to lock him yeah. down. Right. But I, I, I don't know. I was hearing both. Initially I was like, okay, Frank is going to be the new CEO of take two. And like, this is going to be all good. And they're going to keep yeah. mobile as, as a primary driver. And that is, and, but that would mean that Bernard would need to stick around. Right. But now it's, right. I don't know. I'm confused. I'm a little bit confused. I'm a little bit confused, to be honest. But if, if this is, the acquisition hasn't closed yet, so Bernard didn't make any money from it, right? They haven't been paid out yet. Um, so is he just walking away? I'm sure he owes plenty of. So he, stock. just whatever he, whatever stock he owns that's vested, he'll take with him. Well, and, and, but those and were, this like, could have been a big surprise to Frank. I, I find it hard to believe they seem to be really well <laughs> close, but. Um, maybe this is the type of opportunity as a CEO of a publicly traded company this big. You don't you don't pass that up, you know. And Frank would be right, like, "You wouldn't turn yeah, it down. Do it, dude. Do it. Do it. Do it." You know, like what, <laughs> what can he say? You know. So anyway, yeah. it, there's all kinds of scenarios now that that Bernard is leaving that make me a little bit worried about this whole situation. And the primary one is that if for any reason Frank leaves or is just phoning it in for the next two years, this is going to be really bad news bears for. Uh, Take two. So, all right. 
The next update, yep. quickly. Um, this happened a few weeks ago, but I just hadn't had a chance to talk about it. Uh, Scopely had to remove a feature that linked Marvel Strike Force to a iOS-based web... Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> they removed a feature linking Marvel Strike Force to a web-based store on iOS. Evidently, it still works on Google. But rather than creating a, the game itself on, on the web, they basically just created a store in which your purchases could be linked to iOS. Um, and so they had to do a full dot, feed, dot release in order to fix this thing. Um, anyway, I, I don't even know what this means. I mean, it's just Apple being Apple, right? They're just a bunch of douchebags. But like at the end of the day, like I don't know what the ramifications of this is for other publishers. Like, like Playtika, for instance, which I think you can play their games. No, I know you can play their games on the web and 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 the, the progress and the purchases are, are, are linked back and forth. I mean, I wonder if they're going to have to go keep going after, are they going to go after all these type of uh, transactions that are off the store? So any feedback out there would be helpful on what happened with Scopely or, or anything else or anything else that, that Apple's cracking down on would be interesting to me. Um, so let me know. Uh, any comments on your end, Eric, by chance? Yeah, well, the thing is like, yeah, they, they, I don't know about the specifics here, but all these companies were basically doing this in the dark already with like newsletters and Discord servers and Slack groups for whales and stuff like that. So like they already had these links being passed around outside of the app. My understanding was that it was actually okay to include those links now. I didn't, I guess if you include the link, you need to include the IAP framework that allows Apple to still take a cut. But my understanding was that you could still link to it. I'd, I'd have to. I, I haven't revisited this in a while, but um, I thought it was totally legal to do that. Maybe not. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's happening, dude. I, I want to figure that out. So I don't know. Um, okay. Next one. Moving on. No. Okay. Sorry. That's it's. It's still only reader apps. It's still only reader apps. Right. So like. Yeah, that's right. They changed the policy after the Japan Fair Trade Commission ruling, and they said all reader apps could link to the website for account management. But the thing is, like, reader apps were already doing that anyway. Reader apps were already monetizing outside of the apps anyway. So that was kind of like uh, just a, a, a fairly, like, uh, superficial, uh, uh, you know, give there. But games, they'll, they'll pro they're probably going to fight tooth and nail because they want to keep all the IAPs uh, through the iTunes Connect, right? Um, but, okay, that's right. So they, they had not allowed games to do that. They had allowed reader apps only. Yeah. I don't know. I, I would just love to get feedback. If, if they're really cracking down on this, this is like a, a big, huge problem for some of the companies out there, right? Because they're... A lot of people's focus is now trying to improve profitability. You know, if they can't do the UA because Apple's destroyed, you know, the UA process, then you know, let's get better margins, right? Uh, and then if that's not available to them, just, I don't know. It's like, again, big problems for uh, publishing in, in mobile right now. Okay. Um, and people that are throwing graphs of still front up like 15% in the last five days, fuck off, dude. They're down like 75%. percent. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, they're up $10. It's like a dead kid bounce, dude. Like, stop it. Stop it. Who is this? Jasper Gustavson? Whoever that guy is. I'd Stop it. Stop it. You're just distracting me from what I need to be doing here. Okay, moving on. All right. So, you know, NewZoo. So NewZoo came out with a few reports this week or last week or the last couple of weeks. And, you know, I, I, honestly, I don't want to dunk on NewZoo again, right? This feels really tired at this point. But when it feels so good. Um you know, but they have a cloud gaming report and an esports report, and you have to ask the question: Why? Why do they continue to publish reports on these dead industries? Like, why? Who cares about cloud and who cares about esports? And this kind of got me thinking about my kind of philosophy on things these days, right? Or just in general, my whole life has been this way: is that fundamentally there is no truth. There is no truth at all, right? Whoa. Truth is all very subjective, you know. When you read an article and philosophical here, what? you're getting, getting a little philosophical. Here. Not really, though. When you get read an article, when you people describe situations, when folks even describe the facts of the matter, right? It's all done with intentional or unintentional bias, right? Again, P 
people on both sides of these absolutely massive issues that we're going through today, as a matter of fact, or this week, you know, they will argue to the death that their position is correct. Uh, so how can we really have objective truth when it comes to these big, big things or just little things for that matter? But anyway, so to put it simply, everything is done for a reason, right? Everything is done for a reason. So this is like part of my personality is to uncover the bias or the spin or the reason why people say and do what they do, right? I don't have the ability to take things that's to face value. I just not me in me. So it makes me kind of not very fun at parties at times. So when people say, oh yeah, it's really sunny outside. I'm like, no, it's not, dude. It's fucking 20 mile per hour winds. That's why it's sunny. It's such a shitty day for biking, right? That sort of thing. Or when a parent says my kid's favorite fucking sport is basketball. And I'm like, well, he's 4'11", dude. He can't shoot a three to save his freaking life, right? So, and he's the reason we lost the game last week, right? So now, of course, I don't say these things. Oh my God. I don't say these things out loud. <laughs> You just let the resentment fester exactly. inside of you. Here, right? But then my mannerisms and my, my 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 visual cues are there at my disgust at the notion that this little squirt <laughs> is going to be any good at basketball, right? So back to Nuzu. Why? Why do they continue writing these reports, right, on these dead industries? Why? So it's very simple in some ways, right? There's The most simple answer is revenue, right? They want to generate revenue. Right. And more specifically, they need to support these stupid subscriptions that people bought five years ago when the possibility of esports and cloud gaming was actually meaningful. Right. Or was more unknown. Imagine a riot executive saying, you know, getting from his analyst, say, hey, we got a new report from Nuzu about esports. Do you want to read it? And he's like, why would I want to read that? I already know we are esports, first of all. And second of all, it's just a marketing vehicle for our game. I already know that. What are they going to tell me differently? And why in the fuck are we still subscribing to this nonsense? But nonetheless, they still need to support the stupid goddamn subscription, right? And the second thing is that someone has to do it, right? Someone has to put a draw, a line in the sand and say, this is the market for esports. And I applaud that, right? They Someone has to be out there saying that, where the opportunities are, right? I wish they were a little bit more honest, right? I wish they had a little bit honest about their assessment of this nonsense, right? But but whatever, right? They got to they be there. And maybe it's just fundamentally the exec folks at Nuzu or other places just don't really understand the dynamics of what's going on in the industry. And writing these reports is kind of embarrassing in some ways. Um, certainly, I mean, if that's the case, then they just need to listen to their analysts and focus on other things and promote other things. Because... What's really important to point out is that Newzoo's core shit is actually really, really good, right? They put out reports that are actually relevant most, uh, you know, to their customers, right? Their console, their PC, their mobile stuff is actually really insightful. And they also do like really great custom work. I've been told. I've never seen it, but I imagine that they do it good. But again, there's always reasons why these ridiculous forecasts are produced, right? There's agendas beyond the actual numbers. And certainly beyond analysts' actual thoughts on these industries, right? And and again, that's the goes for everything that, you know, like fucking Mr. Ethan talks about crypto, gaming, politics, all that stuff. It's there's a lot more behind the scenes about what's going on. And I will be here to point out the nonsense, at least when it comes to the gaming industry. And that that is my role for my for me. I, I, I as you go on this, I'm picturing me and you starting the world's most cynical uh, uh, intelligence firm ever with Larry David <laughs> as our mascot. You just like subscribe to the esports report, and once a month you get a report that just says like it's one sentence. It's like cancel this subscription. <laughs> exactly. Esports is shit. That is <laughs> right. He paid exactly five thousand right. dollars a month right. for that. So, <laughs> all right, moving on. Embracer. Uh, yeah, back to still front again, but so. Here we go. Here we so go. So Embracer enters an agreement to buy. Uh, oh, oh, is there any other updates before I go? No, no, no. Let's let's get right okay. into the real news this week. Oh, Embracer. Wait. All right. Embracer uh, enters an agreement to acquire Eidos, uh, Crystal Dynamics, and Square Enix Montreal. So quickly, they spent three hundred million dollars for these three studios. Um, Eleven hundred employees. Like that's a lot of freaking employees, right? The IP that they have is like Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Cain. Ah, but now I'm starting to understand why it was so cheap. Okay. Um, they, had to, they had to raise like 400 million in long-term debt um, to, to, to find this funding. And they also have other transactions in the pipeline, evidently. Um, 
So Embracer will now have more than 14,000 employees. Dude, they're getting up to the freaking Ubisoft levels, dude, at this stage, right? Um, and, uh, and they have 230 games in development in the pipeline and which with 30 AAA games in development. Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launched WebShop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the App Store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees, and then regain control over distribution, Exola Web Shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro/dof or go to the link in this podcast description. Now, back to the episode. So, here's my take on this. First of all, it feels like a bargain, right? To me, anyway, like I it's, it feels like an aqua hire of 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 a sort. Um I mean, I think the IP has value, but now that I actually looked at the IP list, I'm like, yeah. Embracer's really good at remasters and selling old yeah. IP. They have the distribution. Like long, they have a big long tail on a lot of small brands. But they, yeah. like they, they acquired um, that comic company. They acquired Asmodee. They acquired yeah. um, right. Fire, um, the guys who are doing the uh, Knights of the Old Republic um, yeah, the remake. Port, right? Yeah, 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 like the, the original single player game. Um, like obviously what they're trying to do is acquire all of this IP on the cheap and then build out this remaster pipeline, um, which to me obviously sounds more valuable than 300 million, which is just seems crazy. They could get this deal. Well, yeah. And plus they get 11, 1100 employees that are actually building new shit. Right. In yeah, theory, exactly. Right. Yeah. Um, but what I, what I actually, now that I look at it, what I, what I didn't think about is like the IP that they're buying. I mean, Tomb Raider is certain, certainly valuable, but they, I mean, I know people are going to really hate me for this, but Deus Ex, come on, really? Like, you know, I, I know you do because you're Deus a nerd. So much. Right? But it well, like, like, again, it's, it's going like to be remasters and maybe they'll be able to fund a new game. It's Thief I, again. Yeah. Maybe I'll, I'll buy all, dude, all Thief, four. Thief died in the 90s, dude. I mean, Jesus. Uh, but, but still, like, I, like how much how much it, of these remasters actually sell when it's not, say, top shelf IP, yeah. like, say, Tony Hawk or the um, Crash Bandicoot and this type yeah. of stuff? Well, but anyway, Deus Ex was a is a cult classic. It didn't sell. It, it, I mean, that, that wasn't a hit game when it was released. No. Right? It was. It, the. It, Stop it, Ethan. All right, but no. But yeah, how many? But how many? How many units did it sell? It didn't. Nah, I, I, I don't. I don't feel like. Hey, Adam, you look it up because you have like. <laughs> anyway, I can't, I can't 12, give 12, twelve million about that kind of stuff. Uh, twelve million? 14, 14 million units. Oh, that's nonsense, though. That's over like the life of it, right? So it's like most of them were sold for right. like nine ninety nine, right? Okay. Anyway, so yeah, um, right. But what I what I do think is that like given the. the the challenges of getting resources that this 1100 developers is actually kind of a bargain for 300 million right i mean like people are all struggling to find triple a talent so i think that's good so the challenge here for embracer though is that they're going to incur these developers at at cost for years because i don't know when their next game is actually going to be released right so like it's got to be like 11 to 20 million dollars of cost yeah, per month easy yeah, easy. And then people. and then so now like when's their next game come out from these guys? And by that time, how many people will be left, right? And 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 will they be able to execute? So this is still a problem, right? It doesn't create like their, you know, you know, pipeline problem. So so, so but they, I, I think they overall they acquired them for 300 million, which is crazy, right? Like crazy low, but they financed them through debt. And yeah. oh yeah, debt too, right? And then they also have to deal with all the the earnouts and payouts to make sure that they keep the talent as best as possible. And then on top of that, they have to fund development of the projects that are currently in the pipeline, which we don't really well, have the, a full understanding of. Right. So the, there's no earnout like from a, contractually. This was a cash deal yeah. because this is by a public company. But you're right; they have to have like um, things in place to keep the key employees. Right. So retention bonuses, retention. So programs, 400 million dollars sounds still low 
for the debt financing in order to like, where else are they going to find the cash to fund these two projects or, or more? Projects? I know. Sorry, I, I don't know what how many projects they actually I, have. This is like the biggest Ponzi scheme ever, right? It's like this, it's going to collapse upon itself, you know, like, but we'll see. Because like the, <laughs> the reason why this happened, right, is like the margins on the Enix side of Square Enix were pretty low, right? Like single digit margins from that yeah. group. And I know like Square should not have been like dragging them through the mud over <clears throat> Guardians of the Galaxy and Avengers, but still Square was struggling with that business, right? What's funny is I think I said in a few podcasts ago, I'm like, why in the fuck do these guys stick around? Like they're just getting completely blasted by Square Enix every single time they come out with a game. And obviously, yeah. and then, <laughs> and then on top of that, that, you have this I'm out. very difficult management structure where every yeah. like it's, it's it's very Japanese management structure where a satellite office in America cannot make their own decisions. So from my perspective, like they're they're buying them cheap because Square doesn't value them. They're going to get a lot more value out of these people by just, you know, getting out of their way. But at the same time, is Embracer built up right now to be able to be a, a publisher to handle this many games in the pipe? Like they already have Borderlands. Like there's, wow. This is the same, this, the same problem is still front. They have, they don't have that layer to manage these, this type of studios, these disparate studios all over the world. Because they've acquired assets, right? That, that do some of these publishing jobs but yeah. they're, they're piecewise and they've only operated in say like the b tier space not in the triple a space no dude yeah they they're, they're they're selling to walmart you know anyway i but um and subscription you know subscription like we we talk all the time about how subscriptions are becoming it look look like like build build tomb raider go hand it to microsoft yeah. and and you'll 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 make lots yeah. of money yeah so, anyway, so for Square, yeah. like just to be clear, for Square, they, I think they just want to get rid of these assets, and and they had like some total like word bingo nonsense gaming word bingo with like metaverse, NFT, cloud, yada yada yada, it's, right? So it's 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 not it's not where I th- this will be my one uh, useful point in the podcast is that the the president of Square Enix and his is twenty twenty two yearly note talked about their future and talked really eloquently about blockchain. AI in the cloud. And like, it's basically just referencing that in uh, that letter from the president about what, where they see the future is. And, you know, like Square Enix made a lot of money with free to play on, on um, feature phones years before we were doing free to play in the West. I think both with and without Final Fantasy branding. So like, uh, I expect them, I I think they're going to do really well in blockchain. And I think they're like offloading old assets so they can focus on what they see as the strategic investments for the future. I think I'll agree to disagree on that per se. But what I will say is that their mobile, you know, obviously Final Fantasy has um, online as well as their mobile stuff, particularly in the Japanese market, has really, really been successful. So I think that's what they're going to focus their attention on. And all these other like, you know, word bingo stuff is is aspirational at best right and, and we'll see what what materializes from that but meanwhile again they have all this free-to-play stuff that's working pretty well so. but so overall like embracers got an amazing bargain on their hands here right like for the, i think so right? yeah like, I, like, this like is, i know this is we, one of the we, better- ripped, we ripped down embracer but this is literally the type of deal that that makes the roll-up strategy is if they could have done this many many times in the past right we could be saying, yeah. yep, they're getting these studios at a bargain and then building up a piece. Absolutely. That makes this sense. Is definitely one of the better deals that they've done. Yeah. I will give them that credit. The big I'm question I have on my hands. What I'm surprised is why is, the, uh, where are the other publishers exactly. bidding this thing up? Where the hell's Sony? Like, where the hell's Microsoft? Dude, you know what EA needs? EA needs action games, right? Yeah. You know, Sony. Yeah. Sony's always involved in these type of things, right? They love this stuff. I mean, this fits their strategy perfectly. I, I, I'm personally happy as I think it's the most, most likely I'll get more Deus Ex since they, still, from Embracer. I don't think any other publisher who acquired them Mike, would bring uh, me more. I'll on buy where, where, where the hell was, was Microsoft in this, right? Like, the, the, yeah, yeah, Microsoft right? like, too. The, this is exactly right. what they would have picked up. Okay, so we grab the studio, <laughs> we do a bunch of remasters of some of their old IPs. That's easily right. 300 million. Um, did... That's that's the new Tomb Raider as a console exclusive game. The big so scratcher here is like, is, is yeah, I, why did those people pass, or yeah. did they just not include them in negotiations, or what the hell happened? 
I think it's, it's, you know what it feels like? It feels like an arm's length transactions in which these two people just got together and basically said, hey, we want to get rid of this thing. You take it. I don't want to deal with the process. I don't want to deal with diligence. You just take it as is, you know, make it as simple for me as possible and we can move on type thing. Yeah. And so that everyone else is probably asking for all kinds of information and, you know, like that kind of thing, the complexity around these deals. But so Embracer was just willing to take the house as is. Dude, no, no inspection. Look at what, <laughs> what Embracer's bought, right? They don't, they don't care, dude. They just, they're just throwing money around, dude. And then they have <laughs> bankers that are making, getting the money from other investors, right? So I don't know. We'll see. All right, moving on. Okay. Um, so Blizzard has announced Warcraft Arclight Rumble. Um, so that was announced yesterday. Um, I've been kind of scouring the internet for what's going on. The reaction, obviously, from Blizzard fanboys, they're just going apeshit because, you know, it's what you'd expect. Complaining that this is just a Clash Royale clone. Blizzard's lost their way. This game is so 2016. Yada, yada, yada. Um, but we're not really a, like a fanboy podcast business podcast. So I'm just going to go a bit deeper before just automatically throwing this in the trash as a clash clone. Um, I think Arclight Rumble, the the quotes that I'm seeing for the on the design, I'm just going to quote. Um, Arclight Rumble pairs RTS with auto chess mechanics in PvP and PvE battles with five factions, six game modes, 70 maps, over 60 collectible characters, and a whole world of joyful chaos to experience. Um, from watching the videos, it looks like it's a Clash Royale-style game with larger, more vertical maps that you kind of scroll up and down. It looks super polished. It looks fun as hell, as you'd expect from Blizzard. Uh, I think it really lends into that, like, Warcraft miniatures as an art design and, of course, pulls from Warcraft history for all that. Um, they're promising PvP, guilds, co-op play. Um, so it really looks like they're they're building out enough modes and social is a thing that they're adding in as early as possible. Um, but, uh, I'm going to get really critical and I'm going to speculate on a whole bunch of things here. So I'm probably going to get a bunch of things wrong, but I'm trying to triangulate between what I'm seeing in videos and what they're saying on their blogs. So factions, they're saying that there's 60 collectible heroes and five factions. Um, factions likely need multiple decks and card pools that you have to level up through each campaign. So think of, you have to beat the horde campaign. You have to beat the human campaign. Uh, each one has their own decks which probably means very fewer possible cards per faction, which doesn't sound like a whole lot of variability in the end game uh, versus something like Clash Royale. It's also unclear on deck size uh, because it looks like when you place units, actually that unit gets removed and then gets sent back to your bench. Um, so it's unclear about exactly how many cards you bring in. Um, hopefully there's a system like Hearthstone where say, look up, there's a large bulk of common cards that are not faction specific. I saw things like chickens and this type of thing. And hopefully factions is just not bifurcating their live content. The worst case here would be um, having a whole bunch of these factions and then you need to produce a new card for every single faction in order to be valuable to your entire uh, player base. It also looks like it focuses more on PvE and co-op, uh, which to me is neither. like those, those are not terrible ideas on their own. These are actually good ideas for, for attacking the space. Um, but PvE requires a heavy treadmill of content to challenge players uh, specifically their collections in specific ways, right? You're building, you're kind of shifting from a Clash Royale PvP game to be more like a, a CCRPG, right? Like a traditional mobile CCRPG. So are the heroes designed in a way to actually facilitate this? Can content, can the content you're producing actually scale and put enough pressure on those collections? And right now it looks like it's basically the Hearthstone model. A lot of handcrafted maps and modes. Um, handcrafted challenges against your deck. Um, I'd love to know what some of the other modes are besides campaign and whether they'll be scalable. There's talk of like daily and weekly dungeons, maybe some co-op. Um, maybe this is the system that they're trying to scale engagement on. But again, most of what I'm looking at looks like a bunch of one-off dungeons. So then this is where it gets, I, I get some flags. So Arclight Rumble is confirmed to have just one currency. <clears throat> and will not restrict access to in-game content with premium currency or timed events. Again, points to a Hearthstone-style live op system of very slow drip of content, of, of handcrafted content and hero releases, and leaning on kind of a pure PvP play endgame um, to hold up retention. Go ahead. Just uh, uh, logically here, if you have a single in-game currency that is purchasable, it yeah. is your premium currency. I don't like just because they're trying to say we're not going to have a hard currency. 
but you do have a hard currency. Yeah. It's your and if, one and currency. And if this inflates, then it's it's uh, right. If you don't have enough heroes that sufficiently have enough depth for for spend of these things, then it's that's it. You have an inflated currency. You will have to introduce what a new one. What's going in the on? Yeah. What, dude? The, like, okay. These designs let me, let me, let me keep going You can scream into a pillow in the background, Chris. Okay. <laughs> its single currency is purchasable and acquired through playing the game itself, and we're not including any randomization. So the progression system looks similar to Clash Royale with some additional abilities that you can upgrade per character. But the entire economy looks like it's going to be direct purchase. To me, this sounds like Blizzard designers are just making a free-to-play economy, economy just as, like, as hard as possible to, for them to make sustainable. Like making a hero collection game work with direct purchase with a single currency, each one of those steps is insanity, right? Incentivizing play in multiple modes, which are needed to incentivize a wider collection. Like this is all the stuff that is bread and butter for CCRPG. All of that is short-circuited here. So to me, this has big red flags. Um, this is the part where it's like, how are they going to make this work? Yeah, I'm I'm not sure it, it, as I listen to you and, and read these quotes over and over, I'm not sure what they're going to sell. Like they're not, if with no randomization and no locking of uh, in-game content. So that means no gotcha. That means they're not selling access to heroes. They're not doing a battle pass. They're not doing limited time events. So I think they're selling skin. They're not selling content. They're not selling like access to maps. Um, so they're selling skins for your heroes and cosmetics. And then the, uh, there's, it sounds like a capped amount of monetization. Like you can buy to, you can use tokens to level up your 60 heroes. So that means let's imagine you can pour $50 worth of currency into each hero like the cap on monetization is whatever the cost of fully leveling all those heroes is times the number of heroes um it's it's probably a pretty low floor for the maximum it, it looks like they it, it looks like they spend so it's the ccrpg space oh, the it, yeah, yeah i was like that's what i was gonna <laughs> say so, dude this is like this is, and so it's it's all down to how many organic yeah, it, download the it needs massive. They're, they're not going to be able to run UA on to this. succeed. It's going to be just an organic. Yeah, and yeah, it's just no going to be an organic yeah, low yeah, RPI. No game. way. Yeah, the, the monetization is going to be so. So it's just low it's just take the downloads, multiply it by a dollar for an RPI. But it's not even it's not even that they can't. They're not going to be. I guarantee you, they're having conversations right now internally that are like, no, we can't implement that monetization system because it harms the brand. Right, I guarantee I, you that. And so what they're going to go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead sorry, sorry. Well, I guarantee you what you're going to end up with is this tepid sort of like one toe into free-to-play version of Warcraft that it, that just won't monetize well, um, and that's probably just going to die. Look, I, you know, first of all, like the other thing that I just want to point out is that like PvP seems like an afterthought here, right? This is like seems like a PvE co-op game that maybe at, at the tail end of the development, they're like, holy crap, like we... They they hire some new PM and they're like, oh my god, you can't make money on this unless you have some PvP mode because that's where all the money is driven from every CCRPG out there, right? And so like, I, I don't know, that's what it feels like. I don't know for sure, but anyway, all these other problems exist, so that doesn't even matter, right? If you can cap out spend at you know five hundred bucks and and level up every character, then you're gonna fail, right? I mean, that, that's a fail just from the get go, right? Um, the other thing is like, you know, maybe maybe I think of these things way too simply, but at the end of the day, there are very few monetization mechanics that work out there, right? There's like four or five, right? Don't fuck with it, dude. Don't try to innovate around it, right? Don't fuck yeah, with fucking gotcha. do it. Like if you're going to do it, <laughs> do it. But don't like try to make it like better or try to like innovate around this shit, right? Mm -hmm. the, 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 the market has spoken. They know what, what, what you're doing. None of this is going to work, right? It's like Dude, I, I feel like they bowed down to these fanboys, but the thing is, the fanboys waited anyways. <laughs> I know, like they weren't yeah, going to spend money yeah, anyway. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 between a rock and a hard place. They're not going to be able to satisfy fanboys, and the monetization won't Ugh. work uh, in a in a in a sort of free to play okay. framing. And so the game's just going to be this like worst of everything. 
you know what what would work would be if each one of these miniatures no, is an nft wouldn't. and you get can away. burn it to get them <laughs> to get send no. one to no, 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 no. get out of here you can this. burn it to physically redeem it what did i say i said no discussions of nfts around other shit okay <laughs> Stay in your lane, motherfucker. Come on. Anyway, so that there was, there is other things. We talked about like, okay, randomization, single currency, hero collection game, obviously being a a big red flag. There's other stuff here. They also talked about, they want to put a spin on defining moments from World of Warcraft when you would embark on 20 or 40 man raids. So they want to build a raid mode within Clash Royale. I don't understand how you do a 20 person Clash Royale map um, against a single AI opponent. But, you know, who knows? This could just be as simple as like a um, guild dungeon feature from uh, like Contest of Champions where you have all these nodes and everybody works against them. Um, in in uh, their defense, though, this game actually sounds like kind of fun. Oh, yeah. No, I, look, I, look, I, 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 I want to play. I totally want to play. I, I, mean, I, I would I, love I, it. Like it's a free game. It's going to be fun as hell. Those campaign, it's, those campaigns are going to be mean, just as fun as those Hearthstone campaigns. Those are great. Yeah, maybe they should have just made it from Apple Arcade, right? Oh, come on. <laughs> What uh, what they should do is make it completely free and it's a funnel to a World of Warcraft subscription. It should just be nonstop World of Warcraft advertising. This should be an upsell product. I don't know, man. All I can say one thing is Michael <laughs> Martinez, who went through shit <laughs> commanding Conco rivals, right? Um Probably has a gigantic smirk on his face today. Just throwing that, like another company has fallen. Into trap. He's <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so kudos to you, Michael Martinez. All right. So, so <laughs> enjoy it. <laughs> so the cool. All right, I, let's let's jump in. I got I, I got to jump at the hour. So let me just uh, quickly go through my stuff. Dip 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 dip. Are, are we done? We're, we're circling the drain. All good. <laughs> yeah, we're circling the drain. All right. Uh, two things. One is. Um, Actually, there's kind of three. Though we didn't list here. So Apple. So the Netherlands has rejected Apple's uh, like remedy, right? So remember that the, the Netherlands uh, had uh, determined that Apple needed to. That was Apple was in breach of like competitive uh, of competition rules. It needed to allow alternative payments um, in dating apps that were hosted in the Netherlands App Store. I made a very hilarious meme about it. If you go on uh, YouTube and search for, I think it's called like telling someone that Apple doesn't allow alternative payments. Anyway, very funny YouTube meme. Uh, Apple made some changes to the policy there. They kind of softened the stance a little bit. They didn't require, they softened the wording that goes in the pop-up modal. Um, They didn't require the separate app bundle. The Netherlands said, no, that's still not enough. And so they're continuing to be fined uh, 5 million euros a week. That's one update. Uh, Another is that Apple has been hit with uh, an antitrust charge in the EU around uh, not making its NFC payments technology available to, to uh, payments apps. Um, that is the kind of thing that's addressed in the Digital Markets Act. So that was kind of uh, going to be uh, fixed in any case. But in, but nonetheless, Apple has hit, uh, Apple's been hit with this EU antitrust charge. They're probably going to have to open up the NFC payments tech to, uh, to third-party uh, payments apps. And um, the last thing is I was kind of like reluctant to even talk about this, but um, Adam found the article and uh, and suggested it. So Apple commissioned a report, right? And I, I did a tweet storm about this uh, like earlier or later last week, or I think it was over the, over the weekend or something. Let me see if I can find it. But ba- basically, I found it. So Apple commissioned this report. The title of the report is Mobile Advertising and the Impact of Apple's App Tracking Transparency Policy. Now, Apple sponsored this report, right? They funded it. It's written by uh, a professor at Columbia Business School, but nonetheless, Apple paid for it. And surprise, surprise, uh, this professor found that, or or he didn't actually find anything because there was no like proprietary data that he was working with. But in using public data sets, he, he sort of concluded that ATT did not benefit Apple's ad network whatsoever, and that ATT actually um, makes Apple uh, much more sort of like privacy observant, privacy protective than other ad networks. And there's a couple pieces here that I would just call out. The report, it's content marketing. Apple paid for it. I don't think anybody takes it too seriously, right? I don't think anybody believes it. Um, But, you know, and Apple only hosts it on its own website. I couldn't find any cases where even the professor that wrote it like had publicized its existence. 
But basically, there's a couple of things that Apple says that I believe um, invite rebuttal, right? So the first is that um, uh, Apple does not use third-party data for advertising on its own apps, right? So that point is meant to suggest that Apple is much more privacy protected than these other platforms. Well, yeah, that's true. It's technically true because Apple doesn't need third-party data because it owns iOS and it owns the App Store and it gets access to all the data that you would want to personalize ads anyway, right? Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is Apple actively prompts users to choose whether Apple can use first-party data to serve them personalized ads, right? So Apple's got the pop-up. It says, do you want to see personalized ads? Yes, that's true. Apple is the only network that does that. Facebook doesn't do that. Facebook doesn't actively present you with a pop-up that says, hey, do you want personalized ads or do you want just like uh, ads that are contextually targeted? Um, and so here, what the report is referring to is Apple's ad network. They're saying Apple's ad network does this. Right. Well, the, but the other the other sort of uh, lens to view this through is ATT forces this to happen at the app level now anyway. Right. So whether or not the ad networks kind of actively do that within their own environment doesn't really matter because ATT forces it. And the wording of the ATT prompt says tracking. The wording of the Apple prompt says personalized ads. Now, guess which one users are more receptive to. Right. Uh, so, and so then the other thing is um, and I'm just going through my tweet here. Uh, and then there's, another, there's a, a, a third thing, which is like a little bit more uh, in the weeds around ad tech. But basically, what the, what the author of this report um, uh, states is that, look, AT, you know, because he cites the, the, the news articles that were saying like, Apple's ad network ASA is growing. It's, it's taking a lot of this revenue away from Facebook. And, and Facebook and these other platforms probably lost like 12 billion. Um, and also ASA is growing, right? Um, now, what the author does is he kind of constructs a straw man. He said, well, there's no way ASA is taking all 12 billion. Well, yes, probably not. No one's claiming that, right? No one claimed that because first of all, a lot of that 12 billion is web-based advertising, which ASA doesn't even do. No one's saying Apple took the whole 12 bill, but they did take something, right? And what the author was saying was, well, look, the, the overall market for app install ads was growing 27% a year. So you'd expect ASA to grow. Yeah, but no one's claiming ASA is only growing 27% a year uh, based on credible estimates, right? From credible sort of uh, uh, research analysts, ASA grew about 500% CAGR between 2017 and 2021 based on the 2021 estimated revenues. Now, of course, that's not what happened. Of course, it probably grew at some like sort of you know, low double digits rate. But in 2021, it grew a lot because of ATT, right? Now, Apple didn't provide any proprietary data, so we don't know how much it grew. But based on the estimates, a ASA has obviously grown in 2021 much faster than 28% or 27%, right? It probably grew by, um, you know, almost an order of magnitude, right? The estimate for, I think, 2020 revenues was like 2 billion. And, and they're, they're, the estimate for like 2024 revenues was like 20. So we're talking about an order of magnitude growth in just a couple of years, 2021, I think, was estimated to be $4 billion from $300 million in 2017, right? Now, we don't know what the data looks like because Apple hasn't shared it. But if it was $4 billion in 2021, that's a huge amount of growth in 2021, much more than 27% for the year, right? So, like, this, this report, I just, there was a lot of disingenuous uh, kind of, you know, positions taken there. And, again, it's probably just content marketing. No one, no one, it's not designed to be taken seriously. No one expected it to be taken seriously. But I thought... You know, just these these kind of like preposterous claims deserve to be called out. This this ties into Cress's uh, uh, philosophical take earlier that everything comes with an agenda. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, the uh, yeah the the relativism of uh, of truth. Yes, right. Exactly. Well, Apple can keep spinning all they want. They're, they're just they. Everyone knows in the industry, you know, what a bad actor they are. So doesn't matter. Well, the problem. So ultimately, the problem is that. Um, they, they, they released this report right before, uh, earnings, right? And their, uh, let's see if I can find it. Their services business saw massive growth, uh, in, in Q1. Well, surprise, surprise, right? Because advertising is part of services, right? So, um, services were the fastest growing segment up 17% in Q1 to uh, year over year to $19.8 billion. Now also keep in mind that services revenue has 73% margin, right? <laughs> so that's, so even, because I think what Apple's saying is like, look, you know, even if we got to four bill, look at the overall size of the business, that's a kind of a rounding error. Yes, that's true, but services revenue is, is high margin, right? And so it's kind of like high impact, right? Now, if you're growing that really fast because you've juiced the ads business, that does have a bigger impact on the business than just, you know, going from 300 million to 4 billion, right? In terms of, now the stock's down, but nonetheless, right? 
Um, and net profits overall were only up 6% and revenues were only up 9%, right? So service is growing very fast. Well, where's that growth coming from? Yeah. And, and, and services, again, as I've said many times, like their multiples improve from like the 12 to 13 right. range to like the 25 range on the idea that they can continue to grow services revenue and make it a bigger part of their overall mix. Exactly. So, Exactly. And especially as they're facing the prospect of potentially having less control over IAP processing um, and the hardware side is just kind of slowing down, right? Replacement cycles are higher, uh, you know, and, you know, so I I keep saying this over and over again. Like, I don't think what Apple is doing is wrong for Apple or its shareholders. I think what they are doing is very, 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 very smart, right? Like, I'm not suggesting that at all. I'm not, you know, like criticizing them in that perspective. I'm just criticizing them from the perspective of their publisher partners, which they obviously don't care much about. So, um, right. I, yeah, no, I bought, I bought calls on Apple the, the day that ATT went into effect and I sold them at like 8X. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, this is, ATT has been great That's for the right business, trade. right? Yeah. Um, oh, and I, yeah. <laughs> go for it, man. Apple, you guys are just capitalists. Love it, right? Do it, do yeah. it, do it. All right. Is that it? Uh, I'm gonna close it out with the metaverse minute, but uh, if you guys gotta go, I'll uh, I'll I'll talk to myself no, in the I'm, audience. I'm not giving you car. I'm not giving you carte blanche. I'm not giving you carte blanche. <laughs> Who knows what I'll say? Okay, meta, metaverse minute. Uh, meta says its metaverse biz lost another three billion dollars, but the 2030s will be exciting. So this is a TechCrunch article. Um, in the quarter, they uh, Reality Labs lost nearly three billion, and last year they lost ten billion. And some fun quotes from uh, Zuck: "It's not going to be until those products really hit the market and scale in meaningful way, and this market ends up being big, that this will be a big revenue or profit contributor to the business. This is laying the groundwork on what I expect to be a very exciting 2030." So, you know, he's saying like. I, I understand the bet that they're taking. Meta has infinite money. They believe that VR and or AR is the future computing platform. And much like Ford and GM and everyone else needs to invest in, in electric car R&D, they've said we're willing to spend an infinite amount of money to make sure that we're the Facebook of the next dominant computing platform, which is going to be VR or AR. And... So I, I I understand why this is the bet that they're making and why they're willing to spend infinite money to make sure that they don't become like the uh, Kodak, uh, whatever that the Kodak paradox is. Um, but I I honestly I I do think that AR will become the next dominant uh, computing platform, and it's going to take a long time for those contact lenses or glasses to get there, or neural link, whatever it is but it is going to be the future at some point. Um, and when that comes, I would bet that the next dominant social media network is developed by college students and purchased by Facebook and not developed through years and years and billions of dollars of R&D. I think that some 18-year-old uh, is going to figure out what goes viral among all these college students in the future with their flying cars and their AR lenses and that Facebook is going to be forced to buy them just like they did with all these other businesses and that they're not going to grow, that that a giant corporation spending billions of dollars just won't figure out what actually becomes viral among the group of people it needs to become viral. Uh, in. I can't disagree with any of that, Mr. So that's my. Well, I, I disagree with the idea that Facebook's going to make a meaningful acquisition ever again. I don't think that's <laughs> what. But that aside, Why you yeah, say I don't, that? they I don't got know. I don't, unlimited funds. Yeah, but no, but they're basically blocked from doing acquisitions now. The FTC is never going to approve. Yeah, a big that doesn't right. last forever, dude. That's the situation we're in now, right? But you're right, maybe. Well, yeah, maybe you see in all the uh, there's a lot of drama within the FTC. You saw like one of the FTC commissioners basically called Lena Khan a Marxist on Twitter. <laughs> oh my God. Can you imagine going to work and you're at the vending machine and <laughs> oh, by the way, as 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 an ending note, which I'll probably mention next time, is that I just got a note from a friend that dude, the UA was up eighty percent year over year for for Rovio. <laughs> Thirty-eight percent of game revenue was spent on UA in the quarter. 
So, uh, but they, but they, but they index that they index that. Right. So I think they set like a hard target on UA allocation of revenue. Yeah. But uh, the, how, how sustainable really is that it is with, with their, their type of monetization. So we'll, I'll, I'll look into it a little bit more closely. I just kept getting pinged. Oh, there's so much shit going on that people kept pinging me with stuff. I didn't have time to like, yeah. look at it closely. So I will look at the Robio situation and the still front situation about why they're up 15%, but, um, and we'll get back to you next week. All right. And just as as a last one sentence, there's been a lot of crypto news in the last no, week I gotta, or two as I well. Go. And I know we're just listen to tokenomics. We're going to like other side sold hundreds of millions of dollars worth of uh, of digital land. Uh, so we're going to talk about that in Moonbirds did, in did, the next. Did the, the rest of the consumers get leased for a billion dollars? Is that what happened on the other side <laughs> of it? Anyway, everyone have a good week. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Later. <laughs>